If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. On the hottest day in a New York summer, one juror attempts to do the right thing in the face of opposition to defend the rights of a young man in a murder trial. Twelve Angry Men moved from play to film, and now we're talking about it on a podcast this week on Zach on Film. Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. So let me ask hey, you, Phil. where did the Twelve Angry Men start? In a play. On the theater. It actually started as a TV uh, it went from like, episode, then to stage, then yep. to film. Oh, well, look at that. Yeah, start crazy. Well, the, the writer for... Uh-huh. Uh, the film yes. wrote the stage wrote play. the play and also well, wrote the television uh, or, version. No, Eddie, no. Yeah, and no. interestingly, uh, the Henry Fonda part, uh, not the Henry Fonda part, the Martin Balsam part was played by Mr. Roper. Yeah, see, this is the weird thing because when this movie starts, the graphics feel like you're watching a television show. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it just kind of flashes up and it's like, oh, I'm watching uh, CBS, and then I kept thinking, Westinghouse going, Studio, and then I kept going, I'm pretty sure I've seen. This on television, not, you know, yes, I've seen the movie on television, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen some different people playing these parts. Mm. And then yep. you go back and read and said, oh, first it was TV, then a very successful play, and then the movie. And these were all within like three, three years of each, years each other, together. yeah, which is really kind of crazy when you think about it's it. It's really tight time span. Which also no, brings it's me up. A, a really, really strong script, though. It is, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm somewhat conflicted about that mm-hmm. because... um it's the exact same story. Yeah. It is the exact same elements, different people playing it. We can talk about that later in the show, okay. but it's like, wow, you're taking, you're regurgitating your same stuff. But three times in 1954, what percentage of the population had a TV? Well, regardless, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's, it's almost like, I don't know. It just seems very odd that in that short amount of time that you're going to take your work, which is which is popular, and you're going to mm-hmm. turn it into mm-hmm. the TV show, the stage play, and the movie. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. And there's no there's no change to the story. Now, granted, the story is really solid, but mm-hmm. I mean, when even when we look at a comic book movie adaptation, there's drastic changes from the comic book concept to the movie concept to sure. a television series concept. Um, and they're all supposed to fit together or be the same story or whatever. So I don't know. This seems for some reason it just it rubs it the, the wrong way. It does for some reason because it's like we talk about remakes a lot mm-hmm. and why we like or don't like this idea of remakes. And this is literally saying, well, this was successful on television. How about if I take it on the road? And yeah, oh, but how about if I take this yeah, to the movies? I mean, but it's different than, uh, you know, you know um, I don't know, Alien getting remade or uh, Psycho getting remade into a new film because you're just okay. moving it from the same medium to different right, medium. Right. You're not, uh, you're not 
you're not just redoing 12 your minutes of the TV program right. three mm-hmm. times. You're you're changing the medium right. of the storytelling aspect. You can do things different. And uh, granted, right. TV and film are are pretty Very close, similar. but uh, you get the, you get the middle part, which is a play, which probably right. added something and influence, and they probably tighten the script up a little bit for moving the play into the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand where you're coming from, but there is like this difference of it's not totally a remake. It's an adaptation. It's like, we don't really complain when uh jaws becomes a book, right? You know, it, it means same well, story, just a different jaws. medium of storytelling. I mean, he meant well, okay. 2001, a space odyssey. We'll right. Steven, that. cause I think yeah. that was, let me ask first. you a question. Mm-hmm. Would it help or would it change your cognitive dissonance? Had it started as a regional stage play, then gone to TV, then gone nationwide as a movie. No, only no, no, okay. no, no. It's it doesn't. It it's not the order in which it's done. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that um, Lion King is a very successful Disney animated movie. Yes, Lion King is a very successful Broadway musical. Yes, yes. Same general story. Mm-hmm. Two very different very execution. different executions sure. on that. But in this the is 50s. not this is not a a, a widely de- think, deviation from that. What this feels like, and what this honestly feels like, is why don't we round up? You know, this was so successful on television, more successful than we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Now it's really crazy on on the on the stage, and people Let's are wanting to do stop. this. Why don't we round up some of the youngest, or not youngest? Why don't we round up some of the best actors of our time? And put them together in this grand movie of great actors and let them do their thing. Because that's kind of what this feels like is almost like an Ocean's Eleven or um, uh, Dirty Dozen or something like that where it's like, well, let's gather all these super well-known actors Mm. and maybe some brand new up and coming actors. Yeah, but a lot of them, I believe, weren't uh, a majority of the 12 featured are not – Film actors yeah. who just found guys in New York that were acting, right? Put them Television in the film. actors, yeah, a well, lot of them. Then that sparked their careers because every single person around that table, you can go, "Oh yeah, it's that guy, it's that guy, it's that sure. guy, it's that guy." Oh yeah. So yeah, just, I mean, to me, that's just what it feels like. I'm not saying that this is a terrible movie. I just yeah. feel like it's. I think I think Matthew I think Matthew had it in that the reason why this didn't feel strange back then is because when it was on TV, not everybody had a TV, and then right. when it was in theater. Even fewer people actually saw it on the stage because mm-hmm. you had to be physically there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So when this became a movie, this was actually the very first like really wide distribution wide. where Just everybody could go see it, right? Because more people could afford to go to the movies than could afford to buy a television, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where if you actually look at the guys that we know in the movie adaptation, this is fifty-seven. This is pre-Twilight Zone. Most of these guys appear in the Twilight yeah. Zone as young, unknown actors. I think with the exception of Henry Fonda and um, Ed Begley, this is kind of a guys who are about to be famous guys. This is maybe not so much an Ocean's Eleven as it is maybe a Dazed and Confused where you, know, you get maybe. that nexus mm-hmm. of talent that mm-hmm. then breaks huge and you know in the early 1960s cuz Klugman and and uh, Jack Warden and EG Marshall all those guys their big stuff is ahead of them the defenders is ahead of them you know Quincy's 25 years down the line Winnie by the, the way Pooh's his name is Quincy hmm? uh, you Winnie know the Pooh the, is still ahead no, of them no I agree no exactly. I totally agree with you guys on on the reasons why I don't have a problem with that Okay. Um, I guess I, I just, my concern is that it just feels like 
Oh, hey, let's go see that new uh, Reginald Rose uh, thing. Oh, you mean 12 Angry Men, the thing that was on television two years ago? Oh, you mean 12 Angry Men, that thing that was a stage play that ran for six months downtown? You mean that hey, uh, brand new thing from Reginald Rose? That's kind of what it it, it feels like, sure. oddly. <laughs> How was that DC animated cartoon uh, about uh, All-Star Superman? Well, but that's, but that's what he's saying, though. What he's saying <laughs> is that had significant changes to it. Yeah. Did it? Um, and yeah, okay. Matthew, it actually did. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it had oh. to because it's a half an hour thing, whereas All Star Superman is like well, just to read it will take you a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's changes in those things, but it just felt like I don't know. That's just my opinion on this. Sure. Is it just feels I like, like wow, really? Okay. I like like angry 1950s film nerd Steven. <laughs> <laughs> it's these kids these days. Yeah. These kids, you know the kind that I'm talking about. It's these Zacks of the world mm-hmm. that are screwing everything it's up. It's in their blood. Watching TV uh, shows on in the movie theaters in their blood. I vote not guilty. <laughs> the end there's your story right there four angry nerds that's what this episode (laughs) i'm not angry i love this movie no it's a really really good movie don't don't get me wrong i'm not dissing on the movie i'm just the the whole thing um but did you get a feeling when you were watching this when i did and i and i knew it was a a stage play uh before a film going into it it was about halfway through the movie and i decided I don't think I would like this on stage because the way they execute this story with this camera mm-hmm. is like, there's no way I would want to sit on a balcony and watch these guys mm-hmm. act this out. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, this is a really, when it comes to staging uh, cameras and actors, mm-hmm. this is a really good example of making sure that 90% of the time you've got your screen direction correct and that you've yeah. got your, your characters and players laid out. Uh, so that this works and is not confusing to the audience. No, it, I, I I finished. Actually, I was like halfway through this film, and then even after thinking about it more, once I finished it, uh, I like this is one of the best controlled uses of a camera we have oh, seen in, in like absolutely. all the movies right, right, we've right. watched. Like right. best use of a camera, and yeah. like simplifying it down to one room not be getting fancy really at all. It's all very subtle, but it's just like moving a camera so specifically. Uh, I don't think we've seen anyone use a camera as good as they did in this movie. Yeah, no, it was really good. Uh, I questioned though, some of the sudden close-ups of, of sure. faces, yeah, which sure. just was like, whoa, uh, that is shocking. Yeah. That's a, that's Back a lot of, just a little bit. Um, I was reading, I remember it was someone commenting on the director talking about why he did that, but through, for, through the most of the movie, I believe it's like Junior Ten, it's yeah. the, or Junior Ten, the old guy or nine, yeah, yeah, or eight, yeah, the or old guy. I remember, yeah, yeah. Yep. the old guy. And they said um, usually when he speaks, he's not like beating around the bush. He's like just straight at someone, right. And tell him how it is. And so that's why they always like a lot of the times when you cut to him really quick, it's like full frame in the mm-hmm. face, right up in his face, it's right? Just, uh, because it matches his attitude usually when he's going yeah, at yeah, one yeah. of the other jurors, yeah. It is jarring though. Yeah, it's super jarring. Yeah, <laughs> and it, kind of. I think for me, the the way that they shot this feels like I can feel the influence of a television production in the way this comes together. Not necessarily in a bad way, because when I watched this, you know, I originally actually saw this on television, 
and you know, like on some Sunday afternoon thing or something, I believe. But with the the it, television version or the television version was like lost when I was a kid. Oh, okay, because so the movie version I've seen on television. Because here's the weird thing: we're into the third act of this, and I'm like, man, I know I've seen Mr. Roper do something uh-huh. in this movie, and I'm like, where the hell is he? And so Mr. I know Roper. I've seen that television version somewhere. Yeah. And the thing about that television version to me is when I have seen it and I have, I think CBS aired it like a couple of years ago, just in the middle of the evening, it feels like a different experience. This really to me feels like a teleplay. It feels like a long episode of like a Twilight Zone or Westinghouse Theater of the Air or some crap. Yeah. yeah. Studio. But when I see, yeah, when I see the television version, it actually feels like I'm watching videotape of yeah. a, of a production of it, yeah. which is is totally weird, you know, and probably tells you a lot about my uh, absorption of media. You know, and I still. guess if you know, one of the nice things about this is that there's not a lot of deviation in the story, if there's any. I mean, you've got the actors that are playing yeah. different actors, and thank goodness it's not the same actors going from their television role to the movie role. Um, but if you were somebody to study, what are the changes? in the delivery method, this is a really good example of that because you can go and look at the television example, uh, the version and say, well, what, what worked or didn't work in this? And what are people's reactions? You could sit people down and say, okay, we want you to watch this. Let me get your reactions. What are your thoughts? And then have them watch the play of that and then get their reactions and feedback on that. And then watch the movie version and just get total different reactions uh, from that. Now you couldn't use the same test subjects, uh, but you'd have to get a sampling. Uh, and and compare uh, some some values, but that would be very interesting use of the delivery medium uh, in this example because you've got that you've got those things fixed. Those are not something you have to go out and create; they're fixed, uh, with the exception of the stage play version. But it's mm. out there. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they just I thought they did a revival of that within the last decade. Yeah, I think so too. I think I'd heard something about that. Mm. Where do you want to take us this week, Zach? Um, let's talk about, well, just the, like the theme of the movie I thought was interesting, um, or how they conveyed the sense of many against one. Um, there are, there are a lot of camera shots early on in the film where, uh, Henry Fonda's character, and then the image that always sticks out in my mind is when the old man uh, flips to his side mm-hmm. and they're forcing him to uh, start giving his his, his his opinions on uh, why he should be voting not guilty mm-hmm. and um, like many of the movies we see in the 1950s and this kind of time period we're talking about uh, really long focus length we're not we're getting really shallow depths of field so we're not really, like really isolating our characters in the foreground from the background and they use that really well uh, in this film to give the sense of there's a lot of people coming down on top of you. Yeah. Uh, there's a shot. It's like a eye level shot straight across the camera or table of uh your old man. And then you get like 10 guys, his face is just like straight up all up in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's distance there, but he's using that long focal lens to start compacting the room down. He does through the, through mm-hmm. the entirety of the film and uh, how they convey everyone going against someone or on the opposite end, uh, one of the more, 
I felt the impactful uh, scenes of the film is when old curmudgeon guy goes off on his crazy, like three minute long racist rant against, the, against the kid. Yeah. And all the jurors eventually, well, maybe like two or three, uh, get up and turn his back, turn their backs on the table, leaving him there just to rant by himself. Uh, mm-hmm. and that we start pulling into like a really wide angle lens where mm-hmm. he creates a lot of space in the room where we've actually been collapsing on the entire film, but ev- like everyone is, uh, Oh, yeah, signifying they are distancing from himself and they show that through the lens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the camera. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like that. Um early on you get a lot of two and three shots yes. of the descent of the guilty right. uh voting jurors and tight shots of Henry uh, of Henry Fonda yeah. as things start changing. For example, when uh the, the old, old man flips you start seeing a lot more two shots of mm-hmm. two of them, even if only one of them is speaking or only one of them being addressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing right about the middle where it starts to rain, the fan starts working again. You all of a sudden start getting a lot wider shots showing mm-hmm. that kind of everybody's relaxing, everybody's taking some time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the mm-hmm. camera, like just framing, just like the the cinematography here, does triple duty yeah. in basically telling the story. Mm-hmm. The, so much of the story is told through cin- cinematography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, the uh, the DP. director of the film, uh, Sidney Lumont, Lumet, Lumet, sure. Uh, he talked about like this visual nature of he starts the camera up top mm-hmm. for right. the film and he starts lowering it, lowering it, lowering mm-hmm. it, bring it. Uh, Back down, looking up throughout the film, and he said, uh, "If you if you want to read more about it, uh, he talks about it in the book Making Movies." Yeah, yeah, uh, that's so, a good book if you haven't. read I have that. not read it. Okay, so I'll yeah. probably go search that out. Yeah, yeah, it's good. yeah, yeah. It may be available on Amazon.com. Probably um, might be. And if you're also get it from Amazon.com, you'll want to use that click on that. link over at Majorspoilers.com. <laughs> I also recommend clicking on that link and picking up a copy of Network, which is also a Sydney Lumet joint, and an amazing, a very in a way, a very emotionally similar film to this. They actually have a uh, Kindle version, Zach, of oh, great. movies, so you can go uh, grab that. It's only uh, $10.79. Uh, if you use that link at Majorspoilers.com, it's not going to cost you anything extra. A little bit does come back our way, though, so totally, every little totally, bit helps. totally. Do you think uh, Henry Fonda comes off as a smug jerk at any point? Um, it, <laughs> in a modern perspective, perhaps. Because, I mean, if you, if you look at this, this is 1950s. Yeah. This is post, you know, big Red Scare. This is a point where things are kind of supposed to be normalizing and what people believe is is going to be a, a whole new broad world. And I think that there's still the expectation that Henry Fonda, as a strong, principled guy, having these strong opinions and making sure that he tells people about them so that he can say, look, you have to, you have to look at this because it's the only right thing to do. I think in 1957 has a lot of different contexts than it does in 2014. I, I, I would say that Yes, especially when he starts goading juror number three into screaming that he'll kill him. Right. And when he when he goes out and introduces, you know, the he breaks the law by doing his own research and buying the switchblade and introducing evidence that isn't part of the case and doing all the things that would probably make this an illegal <clears throat> trial. But yeah. yeah, he he but he's also the hero. 
And it's kind of like, you know, when we, when we saw in The Searcher, sometimes you have a designated hero and sometimes you have a designated hero who is an all-hero. I think this is one where he was, in 1957, a lot quieter, stater, kind of everybody's, you know, dad, Red Foreman presence, in a way. Whereas now it kind of plays as, I'm a little bit of a dickhead. Well, so. I, and I, and I, I asked that question is because... And this is a this is very interesting, but in the process of trying to get people to change their minds, mm -hmm. he doesn't just say, well, here are some facts that I found out. I went out and I bought this knife. It's the same kind of knife that this other person has. Um, yeah. You know, in the middle of the night, you're not going to put on your glasses. Da, 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 da. And he goes and instead of just giving you all these facts, he does have to goad. Other uh, he, he manipulates into, them into his yeah, uh, which yeah. kind of well. Here's the thing, though. That's lampshaded. It, right. They the the guy who wants to get to the baseball game. It's a baseball game, right? Yeah. yeah. He yeah. he points that out. He's like, "Do you know what the soft sell is?" And he's like, "No, I don't." Yeah. yeah. It's like because you're doing it really well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's true. I mean, yeah. he does kind of slowly, gently, mm -hmm. kind of nudge everyone, and anytime somebody comes at him he kind of kung fu's them into yeah. like basically into showing that their position is wrong right 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 and you know the the irony of it all is if you really take the assumptions that they're making at the beginning of the movie and the assumptions that they're making at the end of the movie both positions are really kind yeah. of equally soft and they don't really have a whole lot of evidence one way or the other. Well, but that's the, yeah, I think that's, that's the whole point of this right, is right. you're not yeah. trying, they're, they're not Henry Fonda. I don't think comes in to prove the boy's innocence. That's right. not what right. he's trying to do. He's just he's trying just to point out that doubt. in our court system, if there's a reasonable doubt, you can't convict somebody, especially when it means someone's, um, someone's death, that someone's right. going to be put to death because of this. And yeah. I think what he does, and he does an excellent job, and it's very well written in the way of let us introduce slowly reasonable doubt. And the thing that I th think <coughs> seems at times very uh, ham-fisted is his method in which he's trying to convince each of the jurors in that way. Uh, oh, yeah. I think is, is the thing that I kind of have the, the – it's, it's the greatest thing and it's the worst thing about this movie to me <laughs> is that he's introducing the reasonable doubt. And, and one by one, people are like, oh, you see the light bulb. And this is also goes into the, the good acting by everybody around mm -hmm. the table yeah. is that one by one, you literally mm -hmm. see Jack Bugman's face go, wait a minute. He's right. This yes. is not how you would hold mm -hmm. a knife. Oh, yeah. reasonable doubt. Changing my vote. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and I think and that's – I think that's really powerful acting in there. But – I don't know. It, the it, there are times in in where Henry Fonda's character is just like, yes, I am the greatest, aren't I? <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, and the the real punch in the gut for me comes when he finally breaks E.G. Marshall, mm -hmm. where he's like the the eyeglasses discussion, and you see E.G. Marshall turning this over in his head and uh, making yeah. the rational decision, and not only does he turn. He takes two other guys with him. That's an incredible moment because you see him thinking it out, and then you see the other guy go, "Wait, if he changed his mind, yeah. and you know, it's it's just a beautiful it's a set of dominoes, and the acting is just so subdued. I love it. the The characters and like the characters are so well written and yeah. occupy such a specific yes. space, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. also such a distinct space. Mm -hmm. 
they very rarely bleed into each other. You ha- you kind of have two loud mouths, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. But they're two very different types right. of loud mouth, yep. right? Right. Um, and the E.G. Marshall character, like as I was watching it and going through it, like that's probably my favorite character in yeah, the whole yeah. thing because he goes in mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, here are the facts. Blam, bam, 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 bam. He's guilty. And Do then we- the moment that the facts turn... Mm-hmm. You don't, he's not like, like a lot of the other people who then starts like backtracking and yeah. defending themselves. Mm-hmm. He's like, nope. Like, facts change. Yep. The facts have changed. Yeah. Some of, some of the and, people, um, we know what their, what their ac- occupations are. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. we, we learned that Henry Fonda is an architect and those kinds of things. Uh, Jack Klugman, I forget what his, his job was. Uh, we know one of them is, uh, he's ad, a paramedic. We know one of them is an ad, uh, ad sales. Yeah. Uh, we know one of them is a, right. That's twelve. Robert Weber. Is yeah, a, yeah, he's great. I love him. Yeah, he does such he's, a great yeah. job. Yeah. Wouldn't have been a. Wouldn't he have been a he, great Superman? He would have. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. think e. so. E.G. Marshall is a stockbroker. Uh, do they say that? Yes. Okay, because yeah. to me, he's very, he's very analytic and almost like an accountant, yeah. which mm-hmm. a stockbroker would yeah, have that sure. business background to where you just present him the facts, mm-hmm. and the minute that that <laughs> that logic chain changes. Guilty, yes or no? Oh, yeah, and that's no. the thing. Yeah. Like to him, it is a logic problem, yeah. and the moment the yep. answer changes. Like yeah. he has no problem, uh, yeah. no emotional compunction mm-hmm. to to be yeah. like, nope, I'm on the other side now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's like, really, whoa, all right. <laughs> what I really find most fascinating, though, are the the quiet interactions that really show how strong these characters are. The point where the the uh, gentleman with the accent, I beg your pardon. The other guy's like, what are you so polite about? And he's like. It's the way I was brought up, just as you were not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love just the interactions between these these. We don't even know their names, but they're so incredibly well drawn within the space we're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and and there's it's it's really crazy how we get you know three hour movies with a handful of characters where you see like very little character growth, mm-hmm. but in this movie, which is actually relatively short, all mm-hmm. things considered, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is so much growth just from uh, like, for example, juror number two, John Fielder, mm-hmm. AKA Piglet. Right. Um, <laughs> Red Jack. Right. Uh, who um, goes like he gets bullied earlier, pushed around. And by mm-hmm. the end, he's really standing his ground. He's yeah, really, mm-hmm. You know, telling people to shut up and getting people off his back. Um, you know, that's like, and and it never feels forced. You're not like, why is this guy brave all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. You see that growth. You see him back the old man. You see him see the other characters and what they're doing. And he comes around um, in, in a different way, not just uh, for his vote. Um, because it would have been easier to vote, bully him for his bo- vote. But he actually kind of like comes around of his own volition. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, no, I like all of the character development. I like all of that. I think it's I think it brings up um you know lots of questions about age and how we mm-hmm. perceive sure. age, yeah. how we mm-hmm. perceive class. Um not yeah. not so much race because the kids uh, we but, see him and Yeah, it's it's there's, interesting. There's an element in there though. It's interesting I mean, because yeah, a, I think there's a real um uh, like expectation that this kid's Italian. Yeah, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, Jack Klugman, who I don't know if he's Italian, right? But he looks Italian, yeah. you know, and that's important. Yeah. yeah, but I think the yeah. I think the the biggest thing that that is the thing that as you two mm-hmm. get older, yeah, 
um, you might start getting into the same thing that maybe Matthew and I kind of run into sometimes of, man, you kids these days. Sure. What's wrong with you kids these days? Mm-hmm. I can't wait till you are our age and you can have some heights. But, you know, that that whole issue of, well, just because he's young right. and different mm-hmm. and he's using some slang that is not something that I would use or he dresses a certain way that's different from what I would, there must be something wrong sure. with that kid. And so I know in my heart that he killed that person. Right. It's right. just... It's really kind of, uh, if, if people haven't been on both sides of that fence, and I think <laughs> yeah. you have to be older to be on both sides of that fence. Sure. It really is eye-opening to say, wow, you're right. You know, when I was, you know, 20 years old, I would have said, oh, all those guys are, are, are nut jobs. How would yeah. you ever, how right. would that ever be believable? And now when I'm, I'm their age or older, I'm like, ah, I've been in that situation. I, I know yes. where they're coming from. And yeah, it's still crazy wrong in, in many cases. It's mm-hmm. it's really weird. I don't know. For me, it was very, very weird to kind of see that from both sides of yeah. of the fence and, and understand where that age, um, ageism mm-hmm. is yeah, coming sure. into yeah. play. Yeah. And even from the old guy, because the old guy's like, Oh yeah, you know, an old person who doesn't get any notice or anything, he may remember things differently oh, because he wants the yeah. attention and da da da. da and mm. he makes some really good points that sure. I'm sure whenever mm. I'm 75, I'll That's sit right. there <laughs> and go, "I sure wish someone would pay attention to me." Uh, yep. Greetings, listeners. This <laughs> is the very <laughs> very <laughs> old <laughs> comics <laughs> podcast, <laughs> Nerds on AARP. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> I mean, do you get that? Do you get that same thing, Matthew, or not? Oh God, yes. Uh, when I first saw this, and I've seen this movie, dozens. I, I saw it when I was probably, I think, in high school. I saw it at least once, I or at least know, parts of it once. I know I was seventeen when I first saw it because I was totally in love with my English teacher, and she was the one who showed it. And this is why I was about all about this movie, but. When I first saw it at 17, I was like, oh, these guys, you know, they felt like caricatures with the exception of a couple. I mean, Piglet does really well. I feel like E.G. Marshall, even then, I was like, yeah, I, I know that officious kind of mm-hmm. no-nonsense guy. And I know Henry Fonda is Henry Fonda. But now I look at this, and while I'm not quite to the point where I think maybe I'm the old guy looking in on the young guys arguing, I can definitely see, you can feel that point of, you know, being Martin Balsam. Have I told you my story about 12 angry men and trying to get me out of jury duty? <laughs> I go on jury duty. They're interviewing me and they're like, well, how do you think you would deal if you thought one thing and the rest of the group thought others? And I said, being me had to be, you know, I, I didn't intend to make a reference, but I couldn't not. And I said, well, you know, I don't necessarily want to be Henry Fonda and 12 angry men. But I think I could stand my ground. And I thought, first of all, it's a reference. They're going to think I'm flippant and stupid and they're going to chuck me from this jury so I can go and, you know, read comics and get back to what I'm doing. No. Not only was I on the jury, I was the foreman of the freaking jury. Nice. Because I think I referenced Henry Fonda standing up to everyone in 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And – you know, it it's one of those moments where, yeah, I definitely felt the Henry Fonda because we were in the thing and somebody said, well, what about this? And I said, well, that's relating specifically to an emotional state that we can't prove or disprove and we don't want to bring our thing into it. And then, you know, of course, I had to buy a switchblade. Yeah, was, course, it was it was all long and involved. So what do you think? Um, I was I watched this movie with Aubrey 
Oh, really? And, yeah, oh, we did. I'm I'm surprised. So we'll get we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, based on our discussion, mm-hmm. uh, in a question she she posed to me. Okay. Uh, the question is, uh, what is twelve agreement, or what what is the point of twelve agreement? Like, what that is was the question I was just going to ask you? Okay, because, uh, you know, Arvin and I are watching it. She's she seems engaged. She asks a question about some characters. Blah 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 blah. blah. Get to the movie. I'm like, so how was that movie? You know, that was pretty freaking good. She goes, yeah, I didn't really care for it. <laughs> what are you talking? You were, we were like talking about it and the thing and the thing. And she's like, I just don't know what the point was. It's like, what do you mean? Like, and then the, then was like, why does there have to be a point to the movie? <laughs> so what is the I mean, point? I mean, what is the um, point? What did you get? Because there's a lot of ways you can look at this. You, you know, as I said, yeah. you could look at it from an ageism sure. perspective. You could look at it from a bigotry perspective. You could look at it from so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, when I thought about it a little more, it was more like this broad sense of this is a story of a guy just standing up yep. for something. Sure. I mean, uh, and then there's a lot of uh, facets that go into that of uh, racism, ageism, and the sexism never gets in there because there's no females in the movie. That's right. This movie certainly doesn't pass the Bechdel <laughs> yeah. test. No, this is certainly a sausage fest. <laughs> uh, so, but, the, the idea of like, what is the point of this movie? I thought about it. And then like, what's the point of any movie besides like sure. entertainment value? Like, does every movie have to have a point? Well, uh, is there, does it intrinsically, does it make it a good movie if I, there is one or not? Well, if but I think there's, sh- I mean, you, as a creator, have a goal in something. Sure. Okay. I want people to pick up the phone and switch their cable provider. I want people to um, find some uh, amusement or find some connection with the characters or come to this realization or I want to present a yeah. thesis and then uh, defend my thesis in in my film. And so anytime you create anything, um, you have a goal in mind, a purpose in mind. You know, Zach on film wasn't created just so we could talk about old movies. It was created so we could mm-hmm. educate you. So you uh, could stop being like, Zach, you see this? And you're like, no. You're like, damn it, Zach. Yeah, yeah. it's like. That was the whole point of this podcast. Really, the, the secret point of Zach on film is that we like you and we wanted to talk to you about stuff that we like, but mm-hmm. we couldn't because you didn't have the basis. Right. So right. we made a whole <laughs> podcast about it. Yeah, we want, we, want, we want you to like us more yeah. by forcing you to watch old movies. That's right. Um, so we'll I send think that, movies. you know, anytime when, when you create something, you need to have a point. And if you don't have a goal, if you don't have an objective, mm-hmm. then you're, you are creating. Nothing. I think, I think interestingly, 12 angry men, uh, isn't making a political statement, no, but because of it's uh wrapping because mm-hmm. of it's setting and everything that happens in it, it seems like it should. So right. you watch mm-hmm. the movie and really it's like the plot of the movie is, Eleven guys are convinced of something. One guy isn't. Mm-hmm. Eventually, comma eventually convinces them that they are not either. Like right. that's what happens in the movie. That's the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, well, was that like a big thing about uh, um, reasonable doubt? No, Is the- it reasonable doubt? Reasonable doubt? Reasonable doubt? Is like, no, it's it's no, actually it's just, really not about no, reasonable doubt. It no. is like. It's very much a character story about one guy who believes something, a bunch of guys who kind of jumped to a conclusion, Mm -hmm. and then 
everybody kind of like basically one guy convinces everyone else. Like, I think that's the point of well, yeah, the, the whole thing is, and it's really great if you want to use this from a, um, a learning standpoint, it's about how do you build consensus yeah. and what are the arguments that you can use to sway people from one side. And there's some people like the, the, the preacher person, the old man mm-hmm. who you don't have to go very far to get him to come into your camp. Sure. But then there's other people that you have to go a long, long, long ways to convince them of your ideas to build consensus around that idea. And that's a great way to look at 12 Angry Men because it's like um, it in a way, in a very interesting way, this is a movie that actually kind of teaches you how to argue. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, You when you meet somebody who is logical if you appeal to their heart, they're going to be yeah, like, well, that doesn't work. matter. Right. Yeah. So you have to argue with them through logic. If mm-hmm. you meet someone who's emotional, you appeal to them through their heart. Mm-hmm. If you meet someone who is concerned about money, you appeal to them economically. Right. Um, if you uh, meet someone who's very social, then first you convince everyone else. And then when you say, right. hey, it's a party over here. Yeah, yeah. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I believe whatever you say. You know, the, the that guy. He changes his mind. He's super indifferent the entire time. Mm. He just wants to get out and go to the baseball game. Sure. sure. Mm-hmm. And when it rains and it's clear that that game is going to be rained out or at least delayed, he's like, yeah, whatever. I can hang out for another hour. It's right. not going to be a big deal. A great mm-hmm. moment. A great moment in the movie is is that is like he's like, OK, not guilty. Whatever gets us out of here. Mm-hmm. And then one of the guys who is like like the old guy who is who has voted not guilty already. He's like, no. Yeah, I think it's the. Oh, the, no, it's the, it's the immigrant, immigrant guy. Immigrant, yeah. mm-hmm. right. He's like, no. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't do get not that choice. That. You don't get that choice. Uh, so I think that that's kind of what it is, is let's examine how we make an argument and convince people to our to our point mm-hmm. in a very interesting way. And you're right, through sure. character development, through interesting characters, um, through interactions. I think it's really a great example of that. There's a, there are, you know, the, so a couple of things. Uh, first thing is, um, what is it, uh, Matthew? We watched this, I think, in the persuasion class. And it was called On the Road to Purgatory. No, not El Dorado. <laughs> but it was these four people, and they decided, and it was sent like the 1920s or something, and they decided they wanted to go get ice cream. And and this took place in Texas. Um, God, I forget what the name of the movie was. But they end up going to this ice cream place, and they have a terrible time. And mm-hmm. through the process of this film, you realize that Nobody ever really said, let's all go get ice cream. It started out by one person saying, oh, it should be nice if we got ice cream. And then somebody Mm -hmm. else kind of everybody miscommunicating with one another. Mm -hmm. And so they all ended up on this road going to a place where they didn't want to get to. So there are some films that you can look at it from that point of view and say, wow, that is a way to examine technique and, and appreciate things. This is not a film that is a critique of the, um, uh, judicial system no it's would, not a i would critique. say i would say if anything this movie kind of lauds the judicial system yeah i think it misrepresents <laughs> the oh, sure. Judicial yes sure. but it's 1957 you know well it, it, and, it, and of course we don't know what i mean i still think today jury deliberation is sealed so we don't know what goes on right inside the jury room unless people are talking about it yeah yeah so this is not a film that's trying to change anyone's views on the judicial system mm-hmm. unlike there was an episode of the rockford files where Jim Rockford gets called before a grand jury and they're just asking him questions. And he's like, I have no idea what, what this is in reference to. You can't tell me what case it's involving. And so he can't answer questions and they find him in contempt of court and they throw him in prison where he gets severely injured and, and uh, beat up that 
was an episode that really took a look at what's wrong with the grand jury system mm-hmm. and was an episode that was instrumental in changing the way the grand jury system worked. That's not what this film is. No. What else you got for us, Zach? Uh, I got something real quick. Sure, we're going to talk about the the serious like uh, elephant in the room. That is that this movie was remade as a jury duty with Paulie Shore. Oh, was it? <laughs> yes, yes, oh, yes. It was. And You're actually, a terrible human being for mentioning it. Here's here's oh, the thing. Actually, I mean, this is this is. I've seen this story has been told. We talked uh, in the the Wonder Woman uh, episode of Major Spoilers this week. We talked about it, or Matthew talked about how he's seen this story told a million different times. We yep. have seen since 1957 this yeah. story told on Three's Company in absolutely, a absolutely. bunch of different yeah, ways. Yeah. So the, yeah, it doesn't surprise me here. Here's the great thing about like here's actually the genuinely great thing about Jury Duty. If you take Twelve Angry Men and then you look at Jury Duty, it's amazing that it's the same movie except the main characters' um, intentions are not pure. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, in this one, uh, the the main juror or the juror that we uh fonda mm-hmm. um he kind of is like oh i have a reasonable doubt in my mind i just don't think that we should throw somebody you know throw a noose around somebody's neck mm-hmm. just because we want to get out of here sure but like the Polly shore character um they get sequestered because they're taking so long to deliberate so he gets a hotel he gets room service uh-huh. he's like either homeless or just like unemployed or whatever so he starts stretching out the deliberations and basically arguing for this open and shut murder case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to get them to stay, which is actually, I thought, a really smart take on it. Now, the mm. movie's pretty dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, if you're going to take something like that, changing that, um, that, as- that idea of the main character actually serves to give you a different movie experience. But it Unlike- does one thing oh. differently. Go ahead. Polly Shore, Tommy, is the foreman of the jury. Oh. He's actually in charge of the jury. And I think that that, that again, is, it, it supports your point more than anything. Yeah. Um, if they remade this movie, but they made changes to make that character not only less, you know, more of a kind of a selfish character, but they p- put him more in a seat of power. Well, which, which actually, I think, weirdly, goes, comes back and gives us an interesting point. I thought... The weakest character by far in the movie is the foreman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get very little from him as to why yeah, very he development. decides things, changes his mind, or something. Mm-hmm. So weirdly, he that doesn't would even be... tell us why he changes his no, mind. He yeah, does. he doesn't. He doesn't. He just does. And interestingly, um, again, when you look at like a parody, it's like you know what? It does make sense to roll the Luke Skywalker character and Han Solo character into one and make him Prince Lone Star. Mm. Um, in the same way, it makes sense to take that uh, dissenting juror and make him the foreman because the foreman actually isn't advancing the plot. He's basically a plot device, yeah, like yeah. kind of ticking clock kind of thing. Right. He's the one that has to keep the deliberations going. Right. He's the one that has to run the vote, those kinds of things. But right, yeah, right. I mean... You're right. I agree with you there. So, uh, you know, analyzing a parody or something or like a comedic take on something Mm -hmm. can actually bring you insight into the original work. Oh, yeah. No, no, definitely. Because one of the great things about parody is you have to understand the source material to understand Mm -hmm. what makes Mm -hmm. it so dang funny. And you're right. If if you have to go back and, and understand 12 Angry Men in order to do 
jury deeper duty. meaning yeah. from jury duty, then yeah, that's all for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the film that I'm thinking of, and it's uh, the conundrum. And this was a more like an educational film. It's the Abilene paradox for those people that are wanting oh. to know what I'm referring oh, to. Oh, um, I remember that. Yeah, that but it's, it's about a breakdown in group <laughs> communication. Um, yeah, it does. It sounds like a. a Sequel to the Andromeda Strain. Yeah, the Abilene Paradise. Because I've been to Abilene. But I think that's yes. already a scary oh. place. But I think the movie that it was made was called The Road to Abilene. And the first time I saw it, um, I was like, Abilene, Kansas? Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I was like, what the hell are they doing in Texas? So, um, But yeah, so some people who have already fired up their, their comment section. This go. happens a lot. Uh, I understand <laughs> that people send me a Twitter and then five minutes later, they're like, oh, never mind. Uh, I just heard you talk about uh, it. Speak, uh, making the transition from play to film there was one really weird part in 12 angry men where it was clear that it was either like a scene break or like we're transitioning into the third act is they're all standing around the table it starts raining starts raining and they're like okay now like we'll pause with the rain and now the lights kind of dimmed in the background and now we'll all just like scanter off to our seats because it's like they, they all just stopped yep and they stood there for i swear like five seconds And then they started and they moved. So, yes. So weird. If you wanted to, yes, this, that's why I think too, maybe you were thinking more of the play because there is a definite act one, act two break. The other thing is, and you'd have to really track down the original broadcast schedule of 12 Angry Men. I'm going to bet Studio One ran this as two one hour sessions with a long commercial break in between so Mm -hmm. that you hit the end of your first act. Mm -hmm. You went to your commercial break and came back. As the thunderstorm had started, that was the other thing that sure. I thought about. But you're that you're definitely yeah, right yeah, yeah. from the film standpoint yeah, of and like, yeah, there's an act break here. Yeah, and not only so that, weird. but like it gets dark, so it's mm-hmm. like yeah. I think in both the the teleplay and the uh, play play, um, the huh. uh, time is supposed to have passed, but in the movie. It just like it rains and then like it's dark really quick. It's like yeah. can you believe it got that dark that yeah. quick? Yeah. Like, and I think like that. I I wouldn't be surprised if that line was thrown into the movie. Again, to lampshade this thing was like it's it's supposed to be later now, but we yeah. can't do that mm-hmm. because of how we've set this up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, it's summertime; it's still light out at seven o'clock because they do make a note to it's five o'clock now. Let's talk till six, and then let's go yeah, till seven. seven. Yeah. Um, there's still time for people to get, but even the summertime, it's going to be it's going to be sunny at uh, sure. seven o'clock at night. But no, it's it's an it's an interesting change of pace. I don't remember if at the end of that break. Or when that break occurs, is the jury divided uh, six six at that point? I don't uh, think so. No, I, I think they're eight eight four. Yeah. Okay, there's like I remember. I remember thinking like if there was a half and half moment, mm-hmm. it's fast. It's really fast. I don't think it is. I think what it is is like there's this huge turn mm-hmm. where like three of them go over to yeah. not guilty, and all of a sudden there's only basically three guys left over who are still saying guilty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's see. We start. We start with juror eight. And then juror nine changes his mind. Then there, there is a, there is a point when they're equally guys. divided. And you're right. It's probably very, very short. And I think that's when baseball guy is basically, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. It is it, and then isn't like, it at no, six, six, it's at six, back. six at the rainstorm because that's when, that's when red Jack decides to vote not guilty. And he's the sixth guy. Okay. And then the rain comes in and then the guy starts whining about, his baseball game getting canceled. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when he actually starts paying attention to the case. Yeah. <laughs> is when he, you know, he doesn't have to worry about missing his game. So yeah, I think you're right. 
And then there's the big swing of like three guys when they convince juror four. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that right at the end, I mean, right where at were the you end, last night? As soon where as the, the bigotry before? comes out and the bigot is shunned by the group, mm-hmm. the rest of them come along very quickly. Yeah. That, that toppling point to get to, I'm angry at my son. Right. Popped me in the face. Cause I was too hard on him. Um, it, you know, just comes up very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, and Jack Warden, literally, I think he comes out and says he just changes his vote to get it over with. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I, th- if we're looking at his character, it seems like the reason he is voting guilty, obviously, is because of his um, emotional issues that he has with his son who mm-hmm. left him and they got into a fight. And he knows that kids these days, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. my son will pop me in the face and go on a fight, then it's for sure that this kid is going right. to stab his dad. Well, and, sure. and forget it's like. He hasn't thought about it that much. Yeah. He just sees this yeah. ungrateful kid. Yeah. And that's it. That's it for him. It's like, he mm-hmm. has to be guilty, right? And just right. like the other yeah. guy just sees this underprivileged person mm-hmm. and is like, oh, yeah, obviously he did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in his blood, right? Yeah, they're raised people, in that stuff. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, people are born poor. Right. So as soon as those two fall, I mean, it's like, I think everybody else, I don't want to say everybody else is easily swayed, but um, ad exec. He gets convinced pretty, I think he gets convinced pretty easily. He holds out for a while because he's also kind of not involved. Right. He's like, nope, nope, you guys are crazy. And he's like, all right, all right, I can see it. And then he gets yelled at and he's like, all right, back to guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He Um, actually, doesn't he change back and forth? He does. Twice. He goes from guilty, not guilty, guilty, and then back to Mm -hmm. not guilty again. And then there's, there is that, you know, the thing that I really enjoy is when Jack Warden, when Seven changes his vote. The old man who is on the side that he has changed to still gives him hell for not following the process and not being patriotic and and wasting his vote. And he finally has to admit that, no, he actually really believes it, which I thought was kind of cool, too. I mean, it's that weird, complex moment in the middle of it where you'd think that if he switches over to the side that you're on, you wouldn't question him about it, which I really, you know, I liked that moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, good moment. So, uh, Zach, what are you taking away from this? Taking away from this, uh, talk about a a film to forget clerks. Like this movie should inspire you to make a low budget movie. Oh yeah, this is one set. It's a one room essentially. Yep. Uh, it's like ninety minutes of the ninety four minutes take place within one room. Uh, couple. You don't even have to get very fancy in your lights. Just get some guys and a good script, and you can knock out something. Uh, low budget. Learn how to move a camera. Watch this movie. Learn how to move a camera within well, close spaces and really make staging, relations. Staging your camera, yeah, and is really important. There's a book that I told you to read. It was, I think, in the your super advanced class um, called Cinematic Motion, and mm-hmm. the other one is um, Cinematic. It's by the same guy. And there's two books. They complement one another. One is an introduction to staging actors in front of the camera. And then the other book is, okay, now that you've got that down and you've known the formula of how to do this, now here's how we move the camera within uh, that scene. Mm -hmm. And it's really a good combo of learning staging your cameras and your actors. Uh, So I would recommend that. But yes, this, this movie is really excellent at trying to do that and keeping all eye directions and everything down. And I would love to see the camera plot 
uh, for this movie because you know it's got to be super detailed so that when they're talking about this scene, you don't accidentally have somebody's eye on the wrong side of the screen. And and the blocking for this whole thing had to be really extensive. And and the camera has to be basically someone else you're blocking, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I think, uh, if you want to spend some time thinking about this movie, um, which you should because it's a cool movie, uh, this uh, a big part of this is the times and the time when it was done. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have, um, by most definitions... Uh, 12 white dudes yeah, doing yeah. this movie. If you were to adapt this movie, who do you make black? Who do you make a woman? Well, the Ooh. Jack Klugman character, I think, would probably be the easiest one to mm-hmm. put into a, you know, a black a role, minority. a minority role of yeah. any kind, really. And Because it's like the Italian guy you could replace with, or I should say the Italian guy, the immigrant mm-hmm. uh, guy, you can mm-hmm. replace with someone who's Hispanic as a naturalized citizen. You could, but the Jack Klugman one is one that really would typify the race side mm-hmm. of it. Um, yeah. I would like juror number four to be a woman. Which one is that one? E.G. Marshall. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the rational guy who mm-hmm. will not back down. Mm-hmm. I think but that I would be think, a great role. I think Piglet would be a good one too. Sure. Because yeah. then and you that's would the thing see is, like, you wouldn't be. Uh, necessarily tied to only having one of each, right? Mm-hmm. But but you could seriously seriously alter the way that things play out mm-hmm. if you if for example, uh, you show that the kid is black, right? The mm-hmm. um Klugman character is black, and the Peter Fonda character is black. Like all of a sudden, Sidney Poitier yeah. is Henry Fonda. All of a sudden. It's a race thing, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If that oh. character remains white, then it's not. So let me ask if you this: If that character is a woman, then it's like, is that compassion because she's a lady and ladies tend to be more like? But so there let me are ask so you many th- things that go with that. So, but let me ask you this: in the context of what we talked about before, with this movie being an examination of techniques to develop consensus, mm-hmm. the minute that you add in these other yeah. types, yeah, that blurs that line of saying, hey, here's the technique of consensus to, oh, this movie is about racism or this movie is about yeah. um, gender equality or anything like that. Well, but would that do you think I, that would I, hurt? Because I, I don't, I, I I don't qu- think it I don't think it would because we already have the obscuring factors of this movie being about fathers and sons. Sure. Mm-hmm. This movie Very being true. about economic uh, mm-hmm. problems. Um, so no, I think it would I think if your goal was to show this movie, like uh, this movie is, how do you build consensus on a group? Then mm-hmm. throwing a different mix of people might cloud that, yeah. But also might enrich it in yeah, a way yeah, yeah, yeah. to see same lines, just yeah, cast a woman yeah, yeah, yeah. in any one of these roles, mm-hmm. exact in- same lines. The whole thing's going to change the mm-hmm. reaction. Like it's again, like I. I Find the script, say, this character is now a woman, any random one. And, like, <laughs> as you're reading it, I bet you the first time she gets dismissed, the first thing you think about is he's dismissing her because she's a lady. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though that's not actually in the play. Right, you right, know, right. like, we yeah. bring so much to these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Here's something that would be interesting. What if juror number one, the foreman, juror number three, the, the loudmouth, juror number six, the ad executive, juror number four, the smart guy, and the polite immigrant are all female characters. 
That way you have characters on both sides of things arguing in and out, and then you have to constantly, anytime you have an argument, you'll have... Well, so you're talking s- about it's nullifying. Essentially, it's nullifying yeah, you have, yeah, you have six sure. men and six sure. women, but anytime but, you have a conflict, you'll have an equal at least on one but, person on each side mm-hmm. of each gender. But, but uh, interestingly, then you're going in to nullify that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, mm. that's a decision that you're making. You're saying, I'm going to add women to this play... But I'm going to work Take extra hard to not make it about gender, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? right. So Which make sure that just just like a random smattering would totally well, make so it about gender, and that's so that's why I'm saying is what Matthew just said, equal equal. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody is white here yep. because it's no, it's white because it's a 1957. But I mean, if you think about it. If you're trying to convey the message of don't focus on anything else but the persuasive persuasive ways that Henry Fonda is changing each member around the table, mm-hmm. it shouldn't matter. But, but in that, that is case. just Fonda's method of yeah. right. conveying that everyone else's brings them their own stuff into the and oh uses yeah their I own that stuff episode convince... of the Brady Bunch that uh, and pulled a lot of these. The, here's something else that you have to realize is you can't make this movie today with twelve white men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. You can't do that anymore. But I think that to say that, you know, we get into that really weird area of the the expectation that, quote, unquote, you only have normalcy when you have uh, parity and everyone being the same. If you did this with an all-black cast or an all-Hispanic cast, I don't think that it would necessarily be a different movie. But I think if you did it with a cast that was, you know, all over the place, I think it would, I actually well, think it would be answer, a very different. Yeah. yeah I think it would, I think it might even be a better movie because it would add that subtext. It would add, you know, as you, as a, as a viewer would then be forced to confront, well, why is this happening? Why do I think this is happening for this reason? I think if they were to remake this movie today, you would have, to diversify the cast in wild and bizarre ways. And I think it would be interesting to find 12 strong actors and actresses, oh, people you that could, you know you can handle them, just throw them a script Sandra and Bullock here you are. As Henry Fonda, uh, George Clooney as um, uh, ad exec guy, uh, juror 12. Sure. 12. Um, you get in a, um, you could put an Anna Ferris in as juror 2. Patrick Stewart <laughs> as the old guy. Patrick Stewart as the old guy. Yeah. You get um the frick was his name. Um I would like to see uh Jenny Slate as baseball tickets man. Yeah. So, good, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get you get uh, Eddie Izzard as your European immigrant. Sure. And Actually, I think rest. I think the European immigrant like to make that a change I think he should be like the biggest blondest guy. I think you actually get Chris Helmsworth to play. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Ooh, the yeah. uh, immigrant John Cho. I think Sidney Poitier play would Piglet. still be really good as one of these roles. Sure. I mean, he, yeah, Sidney Poitier. Well, he's dead. Well, but yeah, uh, you can also like uh, if you wanted uh, like Lawrence. I don't know if you've seen movies where Lawrence Fishburne doesn't play oh, Morpheus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he yeah, doesn't, like, he's on Blackish right now, right, right. and I think yeah. he literally wears that same hat mm-hmm. as the as the tickets guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. I think he would also be great in that role as the yeah. guy who just wants to get out of mm-hmm. there. I don't know if you guys ever saw, I think it's called SWAT. Not a good movie. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. But he plays a not quote unquote Lawrence Fishburne character yeah, in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually does a really great job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I think Bernie Mac would have been really good for that. He would have been too. Yeah. I, that's that's when you first said that, the first one is like, oh, Bernie Mac's gotta mm-hmm. be in this one. And then right. it's like, no, he's dead. Yeah. And I forgot Sidney Poitier died. Yeah. Pam Greer could play juror no, juror number nine. That would be interesting. Yeah, I mean there's so much like but again, it's like uh, But and, who would and, and, who would you who would you put as the who would you put as the I think I think there's two ways of doing it. There's the safest way possible, which is um, the Peter Fonda character is Henry. black. Um, the um, low income guy that gets uh, like the uh, what's it? he's played by Jack Klugman. Uh, he's a number five. And Piglet's a girl. Like that way, all of the roles are okay. You have a black person. He's the one in the right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. fine. He is able then to intimate a racial issue, but the Peter Fonda character never necessarily openly says mm-hmm. he was a racist. Right, mm-hmm. so right. he gets to. So is the kid then black, or does it matter? Um, I think he wouldn't have to be, uh, but again, to play it safe, he could be. But he would have oh, to. Yeah. If you're going off the the Klugman character, then the kid would have to be. He could Hispanic. be Hispanic, mm-hmm. which then again yeah. would uh, separate the Fonda character right. from mm-hmm. that. Right. Like they are both minorities, important. right? But there's no not necessarily like oh I'm you know not, not necessarily yeah. that kinship as somebody from your own and race or, or minority group. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the strengths of this piece is when they say they're all like that, they never tell us who they are. Right. Well, that's we may not well because we may that's not even know the kids. I mean, he no, knows, but what appear. he's talking about is not he's it's not a racial thing at that point. They're talking about a, a, a socio economic right. position. He's talking about a class position that it's these lower but, poor people. But actually, but actually, we don't it. know that that could all yeah. be rolled up because it could, it could if you in live race. in New York, then those people, those poor people who happen to not be black right. mm-hmm. are probably mm-hmm. either Irish or mm-hmm. Italian or Jewish. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that can all be conflated into yeah, one yeah. thing or True. not. But. Uh, I think that racial component could very well be there. So, like the the, I think that's the safest uh, changes that you can make. Mm-hmm. From there, you can make much more unsafe changes. Like, for example, making everyone Hispanic and Henry Fonda being Matt Damon. Yes, yes. That <laughs> that, that, that movie actually got done. It was called Elysium, <laughs> and uh, he in that one, Peter Fonda gets an exoskeleton. Yes, I think was that on this show that we talked about that, or was that a I don't, to major I don't know, podcast. but Elysium's the worst. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, do they really expect me to uh, believe that Matt Damon's last name would be Da Costa? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Da Costa. <laughs> Anything else that we need to get to? Oh. Um, nope. I think that nope. wraps it. Man, we are quickly I think all of our votes are now not Yeah, guilty. I uh, looked list. at the list again Sorry. today and... Uh, it, it's uh, it's quickly approaching. Uh, that was it for uh, this week when we talked about 12 Angry Men. Head over to You can find the podcast posting page. Give your thoughts of how you would recast 12 Angry Men uh, and how we talked about it this week. Uh, have you been shopping on Amazon lately? Have you not used the, Amazon, uh, the Major Spoilers link? That's a damn silly thing to do. I've done it <laughs> once or twice, and I beat myself no. up for it. Uh, but click no! on that link on Majorspoilers.com, the Amazon link. It's not going to cost you any extra to shop there. Uh, but a little bit will come back to us to help keep things running here at the Major Spoilers HQ. Uh, so that's it for this week. Next week, we will be talking uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest on Jack Onkel.